and welcome to Court Games, a Legend of the Five Rings podcast funded by the Legend of the Five Rings Discord Patreon. This podcast will focus on the role-playing game stories and lore for Legend of the Five Rings. I am Korva. I'm Kikita Kaori. And in today's podcast, we are looking at a very brief overview of the new book for Legend of the Five Rings, which is Fields of Victory. We're looking at the third round results of the Battle of Cherry Blossom Snow tournament, and we're going to be looking at the Battle of Cherry Blossom Snow Chapter 4. That's right. So uh, in the RPG material, got a couple of things out. We have Fields yep. of Victory. That was released in the U.S. on Friday, and it's now in distribution in Europe. I know it's in distribution in France. Overall, I did get it. I found it very good. It's really lion-focused, which I have had a serious issue about the earliest couple of clan-focused books, like Courts of Stone and Shadowlands and stuff, to not really having very much on the clan that they're about. They're about other things. Right, right, right. Not their clan. But this one was really, really all about the lion, as well as mass battles and raising armies. But even all of that, uh, other than the pure crunch stuff, uh, was very lion-focused. Even all the fictions, everything was was very lion-focused. So it's great if you're a lion fan. Uh, I found that their depiction of the lion was really spot on. It has mass battle and raising armies. It's got new schools. It's got new rituals. It's got new shuji, new unarmed kata and titles. So I thought it was really a generally good uh, oversight of the whole thing. But we will create a podcast with a much more in-depth look at everything after we've had time to digest it more. And when we're not trying to do one of these every week on uh, yeah. this, uh, this fiction that's coming out every week. Yeah, every single week. But, um yeah, I have literally just this moment checked the UK Asmodee website and uh, Fields of Victory is sitting there looking very much like it's available. Oh. So. Let's see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Blood of the Lioness is also out. That's the RPG adventure that goes mm-hmm. along with it. It has with it a lovely map of the Lionlands and it also has a bunch of tokens for the adventure or general use, like all the other ones has. This one also comes on its token sheet with battlefield tokens, which are just uh, square ones instead of the typical round ones that just have clamons on them. So you can play sitting oh, okay. on the, you know, sitting over the uh, battlefield with your tokens. But it's only for uh, lion, unicorn, and scorpion. They only have those battlefield tokens on it. They must be the only ones who go to war. Apparently. I, I actually wonder if when when they're making the adventures, do they say, okay, we would like you to include some stuff. Because you want the tokens to go with the adventure, but you also want the tokens to be usable in general. So I wonder if they sometimes say, could you add this into your adventure to make tokens? Because mm-hmm. that would be good tokens for people to have. Well, I've got a whole box full of these tokens now, which I, I like them mm. overall. They're fun instead of minis, and, and I appreciate them. But, you know... If I was going to be doing this, I would like a full set of all these little clan mon tokens to be able to throw across the the board and do do my battles with them. Yeah, especially yeah. with some of the stuff that they have in the mass battle rules, which are using varied terrain and battlefields. That would have been cool. 
Anyway, looks like a fine adventure from what little I've read of it. I haven't finished it yet. And then also there's free DLC that is available on the website. So this is Legacies of War. And you've gotten a chance to look at that one, I know. Uh, very briefly, I looked at the Legacy Advantage. I, I've sort of read through that a little bit. And that looks like a, a kind of neat little thing. Essentially, they are just standard advantages. So there are distinctions and passions. But there is a connection to a previous NPC, or sorry, a previous player character is the intention. So if you have a character who maybe died, and now you're making a new character, and you want to continue on some themes or plot lines from your previous character, here's a way of doing it. So maybe your character did not achieve their ninja, or they were, they were desperately trying to you know, write the perfect poem. That was that was their problem. Mm-hmm. That was the thing they couldn't do because they were too busy doing, you know, their, their giddy stuff. Maybe your new character, although they may well not have the same ninja, because that's too simple. In that case, you just have the same ninja. You just write that down. But maybe they instead they have a legacy, which is I want to get all the poems of that previous character and get them published, so everyone can see them because they were so awesome. Mm-hmm. If they never did manage to write that one great poem that they were always trying for, uh, and things like that. I haven't looked through all of them, mm-hmm. but I, I liked it as a basic concept of a way of uh, you know, creating a legacy for a character. Whether And it doesn't have to be a player character. It doesn't have to be your player character. The previous character doesn't need to be dead. <laughs> I think it's a nice option. Yeah. There's also in this set uh, a whole bunch of random encounter tables. Uh, I think they could have stood to have more random encounter tables for other situations with mm. other downloadable content. I like random encounter tables for spicing your campaign. I think they're good. These ones are good ones. There is a weird Nermani that you can include. That was fun. There is a second family of the Badger. So the primary family of the Badger is the Ichiro family. That's in Fields of Victory. This book adds a second family of the Badger called the Furaiheshu, I believe is how you would pronounce it. There is a section that's called Art Expressing History. That was nothing mechanical. It just says, you know, art can depict history, essentially. (laughs) (laughs) And a few ways that it does it, storytelling or that sort of thing. And finally, there is a preview page for Rid of the Wild, which is the Dragon Source book coming. So it's still coming. We're looking forward to that. Uh, and there's finally, there's a new armies sheet. This isn't in the Legacies of War, but there is a armies sheet that you can use for setting up your armies for playing the mass combat game. And we'll have links to all of this DLC and the army sheet DLC on our site. There you go. So like I say, we're going to do a more complete look over all of those things when we have time in between fictions falling on us <laughs> every week. In the meantime, speaking of those very fictions we've got the third round results of the battle of cherry blossom snow tournament i must say like spoilers for the summary of the fiction that we're about to give which is in self spoilers if you haven't read it so spoilers for spoilers (laughs) (laughs) as it were (laughs) the two brackets were shibatsukune versus togashi yokuni and shibatsukune won that 55 percent to 45 percent that's kind of interesting. But the big result was Yoritomo and Katsuo, the peasant, 
And that was Yoritomo 49.6% and Katsuo 50.4%, which is, it's so close, they had to put the the decimal in. (laughs) So that must have, uh, yeah, they must have come down to the wire. Your vote make a difference because that could have been just your vote. (laughs) Yeah, that could, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That was really, really, really close. Mm Mm-hmm. So the finals will be Shiba Sukune versus Katsuo. But we will learn more about how they get to that point in Battle of Cherry Blossom Snow, Chapter 4. So this is by Robert Denton, third again. Like he has written all the other parts. He is writing very fast behind the scenes and putting these together yep. after he gets the votes. So uh, he's doing a good job of it so far. He, he's, he's, he's working like a machine here. In this story, Yoritomo and Shiba Sukune, who are on the battlefield at Battle of Cherry Blossom Snow, catch up with Hideyakumo, Matsusuko, and Katsuo and their hastily assembled vanguard. They protect Katsuo while he uses his carpentry skills to fix a broken ballista that is on the battlefield so that that can be used on Akuma. Tagashi Yukuni shows up, and he has the Yogo Jite, which reveals Akuma no Oni. Uh, Yoritomo and Yukuni take on Akuma to buy time, and then the ballista hits Akuma, and the bolt is hit by lightning while it strikes, and it's very dramatic. Yoritomo and Yakuni both sacrifice themselves in order to save the others. And Yakuni disrupts Akuma's body and forces it to reform, while Yoritomo throws himself in front of the ballista bolt that is being thrown back. And he is saved from death by uh, Uji's Sangusuri. And just as Everything is about to look terrible. The unicorn appear and charge into battle while Katsuo and Sukune prepare to battle Akuma's rebirthing form. Yeah, very dramatic, really exciting. Some lovely character moments. Mm-hmm. Really good fiction. Uh, and yeah, this is all the same day, so it's still the 14th day of Tagashi. Yeah. A lot's been going on. <laughs> so we're finally all all synced up. Everything is happening at the same time now, but what's going on in the Shadowlands and what's going on in the battlefield are finally all happening at the same time at, at this moment. But we have our lore nuggets and other observations of things that we, we see or that we like. Uh, I wanted to plug in here that it starts off with a wonderful description of Hideyakumo here, where it says that Yakumo looked like he'd been chewed up, swallowed, and fought his way back up the throat. I just thought that really is lovely. It's an amazing line. It's just wonderful. <laughs> this fiction in, in general, and it's just made me like Yakumo and indeed Yoritomo, which is I, I, a feat I would have thought unlikely, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> We also get to see Katsuo using his expertise because as a farmer, he is going to know a lot of skills, including basic carpentry. So that, this makes perfect sense that, that this is suddenly something that he is going to be able to do that the samurai around him are unlikely to be able to do unless a Caillou just happens to roll up. Mm-hmm. But you're not likely to get very many of them on the battlefield in the midst, like literally in the middle of the fight. So there he is hammering away. And I think that's rather, <laughs> uh, that's a rather good moment for him, I think. Yeah. 
So, of course, being me, I had to go and research ballista. Mm-hmm. For those who don't know, of course, uh, a ballista is basically a giant crossbow in any of its numbers of forms. Now, the Japanese did not use or create siege weapons like ballista or catapults before the advent of cannon. They have really, really hilly terrain in Japan, and people's individual castles are usually within kind of these mountain valleys, and they're all separated from each other by the mountain valleys. That's just the topography of most of central Japan. And given that, you can't set up complicated siege weapons very easily and build them from scratch on site. You build them someplace else and carry them to the site, right? (laughs) And that's really hard to do. It makes you really vulnerable if you're trying to get them through all these mountain valleys. So this, so that's just not the way they fought. Yeah, it just wasn't that their particular circumstances weren't really suited to it. Right. I mean, and they get you know a little fragile if you're trying to lug them through the mountains. Too cannons are a bit more robust to haul around. Their largest siege weapon that we have any information on was called the Oyumi. And it may have been a turret-mounted bow of some kind, and it was said to be able to shoot multiple arrows at once. But that one's lost to history. Uh, The last record we have of it is from the uh, 1100s, and nobody knows how it works. So I always find it interesting when I stumble across an invention that we just don't know what it was. Yeah, I mean, basically, Oyumi literally just means great big bow, Mm -hmm. pretty much, you know. Um, but that's all we know. There's some descriptions of it, not descriptions like what it is, but descriptions of it acting on a battlefield from from this part of early Japanese history, but uh, we don't know what it did. <laughs> um, however, the Chinese did use siege weapons. They used uh, traction and counterweight turbochets of a lot of kinds, and they also used arcaballista. So they did use ballista, and these were bed crossbows with one, two, or even three crossbow arms. They were up to six or seven feet tall, and they were usually mounted on carts. So they weren't quite like the big angled things with wheels at the ground. They were on a full cart, but they could shoot over a thousand yards. So they were pretty... Um, That's pretty impressive. Yeah. They, were, they were impressive. They're not quite the same as how you visualize uh, a European ballista, but they still the kind of greek roman model is i think that's the one that most people came in their in their minds yeah but these aren't quite the same it's slightly different they still get yeah. the still get the job done the actual arms of the ballista would be really almost impossible to fix with one person just because they're under tension and a fragile fix would not you know you would have to be able to reproduce the tension but with this, it's not splintered, it's not fully broken, so you can assume that this part is working and it's the mounting mechanism or the car or something that needs to be propped up or built so that you could actually aim it. Yeah, if, if it's that Chinese style with a, a cart, then any farmer worth his salt is going to be at least vaguely familiar with how to fix a cart. Right. And that, it could be literally that simple. Uh-huh. And it must be said that although you could argue that most of Rokugan does not use siege weapons for much the same reason that the historical Japanese didn't use siege weapons, the crab do have the unusual circumstance of having this fixed fortification. Mm-hmm. And so they don't have the problems with literally carting things around. Mm-hmm. They have the wall, which 
just makes everything very different. So they are. It does make sense that they would have developed. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the the topography of Rokugan is much more like China anyway. It's it's not a tiny island chain. <laughs> No. So, so yeah, it makes total sense that at least the crab would have all kinds of siege weapons. So We also get to see a thing which I believe is actually a remnant of something that happened in the original card game way back when, which is that Akuma no Oni can have more than one form, which I believe was because it was originally a mistake. His name was printed on more than one card, <laughs> but I could be wrong about that. So where we've seen this enormous, you know, the size of a mountain or the size of a very large ocean-going ship, Akuma no Oni, with the three eyes and the three tongues and all that. But he is disrupted by Togashi Yokuni using weird tattoo shenanigans. And his form calcifies, and then he kind of throws up bodies from something inside him, and then they start reforming. Um, we also get to see him creating only spawn which is like smaller versions of himself we see uh sukuna's eye here uh she's been marked by toshigoku she in the sword and spirits novella she gets her eye damaged by toshigoku uh here it is yeah. Dripping glowing liquid and she has the ability to see Kansen. So these are new powers for her. They've never she's never done those before. She's never been able to see Kansen before, but now she can with her Toshikoku eye. I do wonder if it's like just that she hasn't been in a situation where there were Kansen mm-hmm. in large numbers. But now suddenly she's on a you know a, a crab battlefield with the Shadowlands and say, oh, this is a new thing. Oh, that's deeply unpleasant. <laughs> I wish I didn't know I could do that. <laughs> she's not having the best day, I don't think. I don't think anyone is. Although, no. <laughs> Takashi Yakuni, meanwhile, is using his tattoos in fascinating ways. He's doing something that looks very much like a Wall of Earth invocation to protect the ballista and everyone else from the Oni spawn, then he's actually fighting Akuma using super strength to keep Akuma immobilized while he's trying to kill Yoritomo. Then his tattoos kind of flow into Akuma's form and do something odd. And yeah, so he Togashi Yukuni is doing all sorts of weird things. He's clearly a very powerful tattooed monk. It looks like those tattoos kind of do something that's similar to a tumor jade or fires from within. Yeah. At that point, and I I, I mean, he's just one-on-one wrestling with Akuma, which is hilarious yes. because he's tiny compared to Akuma, but he's like... Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, at one, one point Akuma is, is literally going, I'm going to smash Yoritomo and Yakuni just kind of go, nope, catches the fist. It's like, what? Um, but however, in the end, Akuma does does crush him. And in his last thoughts, because we get to see finally into Togashi Yukuni's head, uh, we get to affirm that Togashi Yukuni has an identity that is separate from Togashi. But he is talking to Togashi and not getting a response, so it could be praying to him or there is part of him that is Tagashi in him. Yeah. That is also part of him. 
He's obviously gotten a, a big superhuman boost here from the way his tattoos work because normal tattoos don't do all these things. No. In dragon lore, each tattoo does a different one thing, right? If you have dragon tattoos, the dragon tattoo will do one thing and your catfish tattoo would do something else and your knot tattoo would do something else. So here his dragon tattoos are doing multiple things. And seem to be moving. And are moving, which I, I yeah, other tattoos potentially could do that. But yeah, um, the super strength and stuff is all kind of way beyond humans. So uh, he does at this end say that, you know, Togashi, I've done everything you've asked me to except train Mitsu, who's not going to be ready for it. So yeah. I don't know if we will get to see before the end a little flash of Mitsu going rawr and suddenly turning like six foot tall. And But yeah. um, I think that would probably be quite a surprise for the perfect landsect village that he's hanging out in. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is <laughs> it's going to be a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> that could be amusing. So Yoritomo uh, is also uh, in this fray, and he is, if this was a regular fight, he is the one using Shuji on the Oni, which yep. is actually really effective in 5th edition <laughs> because they don't have great composure. You can, you can make an Oni try and murder you. <laughs> Brilliant. What more could you want? <laughs> well, in this case, it's it's distracting, which is what he wants. Um, so he, it looks like he is using fanning the flames uh, or some combination of fanning the flames. He's like insulting him, raising composure, you know, striving him out. And stonewall tactics, which is attack me, attack me, bro, on Akuma. And it works. But it does stop him from attacking the Ballista, which is... <laughs> yes. Oh, he has some great lines. They're like like Yoritomo, just some beautiful taunting. <laughs> it was lovely, lovely stuff. Yes. Yeah, so if you are ever fighting an Oni, if you look at the fifth edition rules, you know, get your courtier out there. Yes, they're going to die, but you can go down. <laughs> <laughs> you can go down insulting an Oni to his face and it will be glorious. Yeah. In any event. So he does this. He gets the attention. He is fighting, but Yukuni is holding the Oni down. And uh, then Yoritomo prays to Sanowo, who is the ancestor revered fortune of the Mantis clan. And as the Ballista Bolt is being shot, a lightning bolt goes into the Ballista Bolt and then goes into Kumano Oni. So this could have been because of the invocations on the Ballista. Because it was covered in wards. Yeah, it was covered in wards and stuff. And Yuritomo just thinks it's Asana Wo helping him out personally. Or maybe Asana Wo is helping him out personally. Yeah, it, it is it is it is kind of like, was that was that was that me? <laughs> I, I Am I that badass? <laughs> yeah, was that a Sonya blessing? Are you telling him I'm destined to fell this creature? And like, no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> So Akuma no Oni gets stuck with this thing and is very badly wounded. And, you know, Yokuni is finishing him off too. Then Akuma no Oni rips the Ballista Bolt out of himself and starts to throw it back at Katsuo and Sukune and Yakumo. And Yoritomo 
dives in front of the bolt because he remembers that Uji dove in front of the goblin spear for him. So he dives in front of the bolt for them. And he's going to die. He he dies, essentially, on, on the battlefield. But Uji had given him his take one fatal blow for free turtle Sangusuri token. And uh, he uses his save and rewinds. Actually, one of the things they, that is amusing to me is how much they, uh, uh, in the story, they use abilities that are already in the RPG in one way or another. Mm. So this, you know, says one fatal blow is a void invocation. It's yeah. not written that way. It's, you know, it, it's a, you know... 13 second device essentially in in the in the uh rpg you know you can rewind a, a little bit of time um but it's if you were going to set this up as a pc or as an as a gm trying to tokenize this make this a thing that you could give your pcs as they go into an incredibly fatal situation this i mean this happens. Yeah. What you would do is it would be like a ward. It is not a ward. Make it special. <laughs> It'd be like a yeah, ward yeah. where the trigger is receive a fatal blow. Okay. Because every ward has a trigger. Mm -hmm. Receive a fatal blow. Yep. And then the invocation is, uh, God, I can't remember it, but there's one of the uh, void invocations that basically will you know, rewind time yeah just 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 that little bit before it and uh undo uh, a, a fatal blow so that's how you would set that up although th there is a bit of a hint that he hasn't simply rewound time mm -hmm. that he may not have come out completely unscathed <laughs> but i suspect that is going to be seen in in later fictions or not <laughs> there's not a lot of time left no 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 uh, what also happens is the unicorn get their charge of the Rohirrim moment, <laughs> which I th people have been waiting for and, and kind of ex expecting. So it looks like the the main force of the Shadowlands army, like all the goblins and that, uh, are going to be swept aside now. That's how I would from from the looks of things. And someone who we suspect really rather strongly is Motu Chagatai. Turns up and you know, meets with our with our group and and you know, I will fight beside you <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, he's not named because um, he's he's just one of the moto, but he's described as having a scarred cheek and a brittle horn attached to his helmet. So and he was sent by Shinjo Shono. Yes, Shono gives his regards, and he asked for the biggest one because obviously that's Hidayakamo. So <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> You're so, the biggest one here. You must be Hideyakamo. Must be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we got good reason to believe that he is Chagatai. Yeah, Chagatai. They were last we heard of them though in the Burning Sands. In fact, the last we heard of Shono was Altan Sinai's thinking about him still being in the Burning Sands. Oh, admittedly, that was before the siege, which took a bit of time. So it looks like they may have pretty much just got back. Mm-hmm. So, so. We, again, maybe we'll get some more details later, but here they are. <laughs> and then at the end of that section, uh, Shiba Sukune is kind of the last one standing with Katsu Suo. Um, 
Akuma is reforming itself after they have killed him and is about to like attack all over again. And Sukune recognizes Katsuo and he's like, I can't do this. I'm just like farmer. Um, mm. And she talks about how Ofushike chose her, even though she didn't think she could do it, that she could be Phoenix champion. She just came out of a nowhere. And so, um, and this is from the intro fiction, Phoenix fiction, Risen from the Flames, which was also by Robert Dunn. Now, with how Ofushike told her, this is what I think redeems Katsuo's story and makes it so that if he wins, it, w- it would be fine and it won't be too forced because it's a passing on the torch story of, you know, Shiba Sukune says, I'm nobody, now I'm Phoenix Clan champion. And then she passes the torch to Katsuo here. I'm nobody. Now you can do this too. You just have to try your best. I mean, it, it, it ties it all to the grand arc of that part of the story. So it works here well as a story. It doesn't seem as forced anymore as it did to me. Anyway. Well, uh, I'll admit I never particularly saw it as all that forced. But... <laughs> I'm picky. Yeah. Meanwhile, back in the Shadowlands, Isawa Tadaka is desperately trying to not be killed by the human body that is Isawa Akuma, the one who gave his name to Akuma no Oni. He was able to get a brief respite when suddenly Isawa Akuma is distracted, presumably by what is happening on the battlefield many, many, many miles away when Togashi Yokuni disrupts Akuma's physical form. So Tadaka is writing some kind of ward, perhaps. He's using Azusa's gift, which is a dog made of origami that she made him before she died. So he is making a charm or a ward or something, using something very, very personal to him. Also using crushed jade and ink. Oh, it's not entirely clear what he's trying to do. He's, he's not telling us yet. Well, he says that he's going to create a, a ward to sever Akuma, potentially from the Oni or potentially from the Shadowlands, so the source of his power. So he's been just like desperately holding this undead elemental master mm. <laughs> and, you know, horrible being back. Uh, he's he's pouring out his salt to make uh, wards. It's a sacred barriers, basically, to protect himself. It's a sacred substance, but it's it's not working very well. But while this guy's distracted because of the Oni, he uses the sift. So Azusa, if you don't remember, is in Trust Me, which is a very sad fiction where um, Tadaka basically let her die in order to lure an Oni in in order to use it. Yeah, that was the Kuniyori was was doing that. Right. Doing the whole it is perfectly okay to let this woman get killed and eaten by an Oni because we will possibly be able to save maybe eight Hida warriors by using bits of the Oni. And I was like, mm, not convinced. But yes. you know, that was that was Kuniyori's whole thing. Right. Uh, so Azusa was just a, a shrine keeper a peasant shrine keeper and and she was a real sweetheart and uh 
Yeah. So it was very sad, but Tadaka was taking care of her while basically letting her be spiritually slowly eaten without telling her. But this is, he felt he had to do it in order to. Yeah. And if he hadn't, he wouldn't be here. Yes. So, but him using this gift that she had given him, which is this dog, is just like incredibly personal. And in how magic works in Rokugon, the more personal a gift is, the more uh, significance that gift has, uh, the more powerful it is as an invocation, as a as a ward or anything. So. I, I couldn't think of anything better to to use in terms of of the sheer power of of what he's using, but it does need Kami there to bless it in the middle of the Shadowlands, in the worst part of the Shadowlands, and he's desperately going, "Where's the Kami? Where's the Kami?" With all the cancer and trying to, he is so. It was if only it's like if only I can do this. If only I can you know trace the the characters in time. If only I've got this, and if only there was some Kami here somewhere. And then wait a minute. Yeah. So, wait, but there's something there. He, he feels he feels something there. He says, "Wait, wait, deep below me, somewhere, there's somebody who will bless it, not taint it." Mm. Some a kami, and he's like, "Is it kami, uh, spirits, ancestors?" Yeah. Theory doesn't say, but he says ancestors. All right, it doesn't say in the book, but when he walked into the room of the library, there were shrines, sort of shrines, to each of the seven thunders that died there. So all but uh, Shoshoro died mm. in that room where he found the scroll. And he's feeling this thing. He doesn't know whether they're Kami or ancestors. Just me. I think that they are the spirits of the original funders. Yeah. That Robbie. are that died because they are going to be there if any anything is. And so I, he, they might be willing to to help his enchantments. So that's my theory. He likes, yeah, it's a good one. Brings it around, you know. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe. He's going to do something that's going to let those spirits go free and get reincarnated. Who knows? Who knows, indeed. Or even just, even if it never says, that's that's my theory as to what those spirits are. I think that's, I think it ties in with why we saw their little shrines, like we see Miramoto's armor and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we're just going to have to wait for the next fiction. If it says. To find out. That's the summary and the law notes of Battle of Cherry Blossom Snow, Chapter 4. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I I was very impressed by it. I'm, I really, I'm really enjoying these fictions. They're really cool. So you're dragon player, primarily. Yep. What did you think of Togashi Yukuni's death? I'd wish we'd learned more. <laughs> but what we saw was amazing. And I have, to, I have to admit, I was very, very surprised by... like So, so you, you're seeing him... Go toe to toe with Akuma Nooni, mm-hmm. right? Like, like he is holding Akuma Nooni back from time to time. He is stopping that Oni smashing Yoritomo into pulp, mm-hmm. like just with raw strength. And he's he's putting up the you know, barriers of earth and like all sorts of stuff. That was just super impressive. I was just I was just enjoying that. So you feel like it was paid off? I think so. So I'm glad that it paid off. That was especially after you know last last week for for 
Kwanan. But uh, mm. I think that that bit at the end, we have talked before, or theorized before, about Tagashi mm. body hopping. Because we knew Mito was going to be Tagashi's heir. And we didn't know whether that was because Tagashi knew he was going to die after hundreds and hundreds of years. And Tagashi Yukuni, specifically. Right. Well, we didn't know if it was like one long-lived Tagashi who knows he's going to die and need an heir that way. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Mitsu was the heir because Tagashi body hops. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And or, or some third thing. Or some third thing. So here there is an it seems to me we it seems to me like we have a kind of body hopping, but not a I body hop you and now I have eaten your identity. Right. Yeah, because one of the things I was suggesting was it could be more like a Soul of Sheba mm-hmm. situation mm-hmm. where there is some kind of influence and the like. Uh, so the see um, the the sword of the Phoenix does have the soul of Sheba in it. So in that sense, Sheba is still alive mm-hmm. and and influencing events, but isn't actually taking over people's identity. So it could be something like that, mm-hmm. as opposed to totally. And so clearly, Togashi Yokuni didn't see himself as being Togashi, right? So that was kind of new, right? So uh, we may learn more, we may not. Um, this might we would just be left with clues. We'll have to see. The final vote yep. opened yesterday, Monday. And it will close Friday, yep. which should be the day that this comes out between uh, Sukune and um, Katsuo. So we will have to ask you all to go vote, uh, go read the stories, yeah. and uh, enjoy the end as it as it's coming, uh, and just you know be open to enjoy it as it is, because. You know, not everyone will necessarily get 100% what they want, but you just have to kind of like oh, accept no. that, accept things as they are and enjoy them as as they are. Nothing gets to be perfect, so you can have as much fun as you can. I guess that's... Yeah, I mean, I mean, the thing is, these fictions have been awesome. I think the way each of the results has become being incorporated into the fiction, I think has been really cool each time. I don't think anybody really has been done dirty i think everyone's all the people in the brackets have, have done some i think the one exception is so not appearing in this film which is shinjo shono he's not even shown up so presumably if he'd been if he'd won his bracket this would be him turning up i think there's a few actually there's a few people though either if they didn't show up some of the people who are eliminated early just have barely they've just not shown up but pretty much everybody in the later rounds who's been eliminated has done something interesting and cool so i i think i think whichever whatever the result's going to be i think the end of ending fiction is going to be good because they've been brilliant so far all right but we that's that's it for us uh, this week so mm-hmm. i guess we are going to have to go our own separate ways um but we do want to give a call out to our Court Games Network, including the L5R LCG podcast, which is on hold, and we should have some updates on some of this stuff. Our Life from Tokyo podcast called Tokyo of the Five Rings, and our two actual play role-playing podcasts, Crimson Gold Agonies and Fortune and Strife. 
as well as our friends at D20 Radio. Our content is funded by the Community Discord Patreon, which supports our editing costs, as well as the website, where we have long-term information, summaries of our podcasts, role-playing RPG tools, and much more. For our patrons, we also have special bonus content like Adventure Seeds, early access to our AP podcasts, and more. We did want to give a shout-out to our Patreons, Mason Whitlark, Jacob Argulis, and Trevor Cuba or Kurkido Onimaru. Thank you very much for listening to us. Uh, online, you can find us at our website, courtgamespod.com, on Twitter at twitter.com slash courtgamespod, and on Patreon at patreon.com slash courtgames. But that's it for us this week. This is Kikita Kaori. May the fortunes favor you. And I've been Korva. And until we meet again, keep your jade handy.